We are going to dive into film history on film history Ooh. with a classic that everyone should see, Singing in the Rain. All right. This one is just one of my all-time favorites. I saw it really young, and it is, if, if you're a fan of old Hollywood and old Hollywood like musicals, it's the pinnacle. It's number one. So, really excited. I think it's... It, it's interesting. I'm, I'm excited to see what you think of it. I am. This is actually a movie that I am shocked that I have never seen before. Yeah, me too. I love movies from the 50s. I love Hollywood history. Mm-hmm. And this is literally both of those things together. I don't necessarily love musicals as a whole genre, but this definitely seems like... I, I do love Gene Kelly. I think he's yeah. great. I, how can you not? Um, but yeah, I, I'm, I'm excited to watch this one. I'm excited to finally have a reason to like have someone force me to watch it. Because I just haven't gotten around to it, Ugh. and uh, I'm really looking forward to having this discussion with you next week. I'm singing in the rain, just singing in the rain. What a glorious feeling, I'm happy again. Hi, welcome to K Have You Seen? I'm Kari. I'm Kyle. And today we're going to be talking about the classic of all movie musical classics. Singing in the Rain. Yeah, and I gotta be honest, I'm shocked that I had never seen this movie before now. And we'll talk about why in a minute, but uh, please, continue. I'm honestly shocked, too. I mean, this is just like a film history movie. It's film history within film history. Gene Kelly, who is just ultimate classic, and the whole film is revolving around this really big transition in film history in general. So, yeah, I was also pretty surprised. Yeah, and uh, I'll tell you right off the bat, I... Highly enjoyed it. So excellent choice oh, on your part. Good. Yes, good. Uh, I was I was been holding that one in for a while now. But I yes, I, I really really enjoyed it a lot. I was dying to know. So good, good. It's I mean this is one that I've like I've just always watched. I don't have a specific sure. memory of the first time I've seen it. Just because as a kid I loved movie musicals mm-hmm. in general. I mean I still love them. But sure. singing, dancing. I did ballet when I was a kid, and just this was like. This is what I wanted to be. So, and I, I actually wanted to ask you some questions about that when we mm-hmm. get to it later okay. on the show, um, because I know you have a background in dance, and so I feel like that would probably inform a lot of maybe how you watch it now. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, why don't you give us a quick rundown of what this movie is about for anybody who, like me, has been apparently living under a rock since 1952? Yeah, guys, go out and watch it. It's on Amazon. It's everywhere. But um, yeah, so the, for the synopsis, uh, Don Lockwood, who's played by Gene Kelly, classic. Um, has risen to stardom during Hollywood's silent movie era, paired with the beautiful, jealous, and dumb Lena Lamont. When Lockwood becomes attracted to young studio singer Kathy Selden, Lamont has her fired. But with the introduction of talking pictures, Lockwood finds his career in jeopardy after audiences laugh when they hear Lamont speak in her shrill voice for the first time, until the studio decides to use Selden to dub her voice. And that's kind of the launching point. They do leave out um, Cosmo, the best friend, yes. who is played by Donald O'Connor, who doesn't really have much plot holding, but is right. a, a shining part of this. They also leave out part one of key detail, is that it is a musical. Like, I don't think that's mentioned anywhere sure. in this synopsis. Actually, yeah, that is true. And this one was actually surprisingly hard to find a good synopsis for. I, I, this one I copied off of, I think, IMDb, but... Yeah. I have to assume because they, they, like anybody who's writing a synopsis, is just writing it for filler because they assume everybody's seen this movie. Maybe, which is a maybe. Assumption. Yeah, it's, yeah, um, that's a, the musical part. So the movie that they're making 
as the advent of talking pictures is coming in, um, it does really poorly because Lockwood has a ter- or, uh, Lamont has a terrible voice. So they decide to make it a musical. Yeah. And it's, it's funny because they left out the fact that it's a musical, but that just made me think that this movie, honestly, if it was not a musical and maintained the exact same story and cast, would be a perfectly serviceable comedy. Yeah. You know? Oh, no, it's Even great. Even without the song and dance numbers, which Oof. I know, I know, that's the whole reason to see this movie in the mm-hmm. first place. But, you know, we can, again, we can get into this detail a little bit later on, is that one thing that I, that definitely stuck out to me as the movie went on, I realized none of the songs have anything to do with the plot at all, in in any way, shape, or form. And so that's part of why I say, like, you could separate almost, you could draw a line and just excise the song and dance numbers as a completely separate show. Yeah. And still have a very short, but still very funny comedy movie. Well, part of that actually is, as I was doing research on this one, um, which I had never done before, I learned a lot about this movie just from prepping for this episode, but um, the songs almost all of the songs were not original to this movie they had appeared right. somewhere before singing in a rent in the rain apparently the you know the titular song yes. it appeared in apparently seven movies oh, before wow. it's seventh time it was less, it was used on the big screen according to imdb so there's a couple of times where it's kind of sang as a bar song or just makes a small appearance in other mm-hmm. movies obviously this is like this was front and center. Yeah. This is kind of the showpiece of the whole movie. But um, yeah, so even that song was not original. The only two original songs were um, Make Em Laugh, which apparently was kind of heavily ripped off of another Cold song. song I yes. yeah. And Moses Supposes, which, <laughs> speaking of songs that had nothing to do with the plot, but that one is kind of one of my favorites. It's just so funny. Just need a tongue twister song is what you need for that <laughs> scene. Um, but yeah, it, that. that that was something I didn't realize going in. So let's let's, let's back up a little bit. Like mm-hmm. uh, you said, this is you know you don't have a specific memory of like the first time you saw this. You just remember watching it often, which I feel like is probably most people's experience with this. Um, but did you have did you have more? Do you remember it influencing you in any particular way? It's just it's one that I've always been aware of, and I just really loved Gene Kelly as a kid. Um, I'm I'm honestly not totally surprised if a lot of people haven't seen it because. Musicals are just not everyone's thing. It's not some people it clicks in your brain and some people it totally doesn't. I was hard on the end of the spectrum of like, yes, I don't care that they're singing. I can totally suspend disbelief. It seems that seems reasonable. But um, yeah, I wouldn't. I don't know. Some people that that style just doesn't work. And this one is really it honestly reminds me of um, White Christmas a little bit in that it's just. Yeah, it's the, the songs and dances are there because they're part of it, but they're not necessarily doing anything for the plot. It's very much like a combination of, first of all, and I guarantee we'll talk a lot about this, is 50s, 20s nostalgia. <laughs> yes. Like, nostalgia is real, no matter when it's you are. It's so real. And it definitely this is like a, a movie that really, um, much in the way that we look 30 years back when we see like Stranger Things as a mishmash of all the stuff we loved 30 so years true, ago. So true, yeah. This was a, uh, something that people love less than 30 years. That's the crazy thing. We look at Stranger Things today, mm-hmm. something took place in the early 80s, that was 35 years ago. When Singing in the Rain came out in 1952, that was less than 30 years after the time frame that it depicts. Yeah, that's a that's mind bender. True. Um, so there's that nostalgia factor, but then also that it's coming almost at the tail end of a time in Hollywood history in the 50s 
where people still, there was still a market for people who would go to the movies just because they wanted to see a show. Mm-hmm. So you had a market for people that would go see a movie that the title tells you nothing about, and just because, like, oh, it's Gene Kelly singing, dancing, Debbie Reynolds, let's go see this show, um, because they wanted, like, to see just a variety of, like, okay, entertain me. Yeah. Um, which you don't really, that doesn't really exist anymore. It didn't exist very long after this, either. Yeah, this was very of its time. There was a lot of other movies that were similar that kind of ran through my head, White Christmas being the big right, one, yes. but... And that's yes. the movie where I think they literally say, let's put on a show. And that's like, right. Yeah. It's it's a movie about putting on a show and everything else just kind of follows. The mm-hmm. The plot isn't, there's a lot of kind of different subplots going on, but it's it's just about putting mm-hmm. on a show. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, so like me personally, again, I can't believe I've ever seen this before, but I had a passing familiarity with this movie only because, um, and not from... You know, cultural osmosis, you would think you would, like, figure out what these famous movies are actually about. Mm-hmm. I had no idea what this movie was about oh. until I was in, I want to say, like, sixth or seventh grade. And the local high school drama department did a stage production of Singing in the Rain. Mm. And so I went with my parents to go see that. And that was the first time I realized, oh, this is about, like, old Hollywood. That's interesting mm-hmm. because I was a nerd when I was a kid and I watched silent movies. Um, so I understood like, what was going on in it. I thought it was really funny and entertaining and things like that, but I just never watched the movie. Oh. Um, so you knew the plot going into I this. Knew you plot. knew what was going to happen. I knew, like, for example, that uh, Lamont's voice was, like, a joke, which is, mm-hmm. it is still a great gag, mm-hmm. even knowing it. Um, and like I said, I love those old Hollywood movies ever since I was a kid, so obviously this is something right up my alley. Um, and as I've gotten older, I have become more of, like, a Gene Kelly fan, mm-hmm. which, I mean, we can get into that. I mean, yes. he's... First of all, he's like pushing 40 when he makes this movie. Oh, yeah. And he's got a 103 degree flu when he does the title number. I read that too. That's insane. When I was thinking about that earlier today, I started to feel like if I had a 103 degree fever and I'm doing a song and dance number in torrential rain in a wool suit... It, it made me feel like I was having fever chills just thinking about it. Yeah. That's a lot of what I was reading about the production of this was like... Gene Kelly was kind of a tyrant. Like, he was kind of hard to work for. Stern was fair. And that's, I did, like, going into it, I was like, oh, like, he apparently really gave it to Debbie Reynolds at some point because she was not classically trained in dance. And so he, like, she was 19 doing this movie. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. She, he destroyed her a little bit. And apparently, like, the story goes, Fred Astaire found her crying because he had just, like, kind of laid into her Gene Kelly had uh-huh. um, about her dancing skills and so Fred Astaire ran through her numbers with her oh, wow. which is insane I didn't know that. That's but fantastic. yeah but it it did you know I was going into it and I was like oh man reading more and more about how like um it was, this t- face? it was a tough cookie I mean he yeah. was like he very much he had it seems like he had the persona uh, not the persona that's like the opposite of what I'm saying it seems like his actual personality was much more akin to like a high school football coach oh yeah you know? that's a good like because I, I heard things I didn't know that Fred Astaire story that's pretty interesting but mm. I did know that he was very uh, meticulous and he was just yeah like you said he was just a tough guy to work with yeah um, it's funny that you say football coach because I definitely thought uh dance teacher equally imperious in different ways i'm sure <laughs> you know it's funny because I, I remember not too long ago we were talking about this movie before we realized it would make a great addition to this podcast um and i think i mentioned offhand something like gene kelly the way he presents himself he's like a dancing tom hanks um, oh that's right and i don't know if i fully agree with myself on that anymore after I... watching this one i was going off of like a couple of other things that i'd seen him in a while ago when i mm-hmm. said that and so like do not hold me to that i don't <laughs> think it's true anymore I can't quite put my finger on who he reminds me of, who mm-hmm. his like, opposite number would be today, which, again, 
we'll get into that. Yeah. No, um, we're definitely going to talk about the, like, how we would cast this for today. And I, I'm, like, really firm on who I want to be, Gene oh, Kelly. Good, so good, good. we'll talk um, about it. And uh, the other thing, just, like, uh, some, two movies that came to mind when I was watching this mm-hmm. um, for the first time as, as a film were um, the Coen Brothers' Hail Caesar. Oh, okay, yeah. Um, I saw that one. Because it kind of deals with all that, like, behind the, the sound stages kind of drama that goes on in mm-hmm. a confusing way. And that, to me, is kind of like what the movie would have played like if it was not a musical. It would basically just be, uh, you know, like a, a 1920s Hail Caesar. Mm-hmm. Um, that and Sunset Boulevard. Um, oh, I haven't seen that one. Okay. Sunset Boulevard is like the other side of Singing in the Rain's coin mm-hmm. um, in the sense that this is a, a movie all about the nostalgia of like the 1920s and this kind of thing. Sunset Boulevard came out three years earlier and it deals with a guy who uh, strikes up a relationship with an aging silent film star mm-hmm. who still lives in her now decrepit 1920s Hollywood era mansion. It's Ooh. like a dark kind of psychosexual film noir movie. Mm. It's very good and it came out very shortly before Singing in the Rain did. And so oh. it's very interesting. If, like, I think it would make a fascinating double feature to watch Singing in the Rain first and then turn around and watch Sunset Boulevard. Oh, interesting. Um, but anyway, that's a bit of a digression. We can get into that at some other time. But One more film fun ahead. fact while we're talking about the production side. Um, apparently, so uh, in the film, Kathy Selden, played by Debbie Reynolds, ends up dubbing the voice of Lena Lamont. The Would You number that she like yes. sings that's on film... Apparently, I don't know if you saw this in your research. It was really interesting. Kathy is dubbing Lena's voice, mm-hmm. but they had Gene Hagen, who plays Lena, sing the song herself and then dubbed Debbie Reynolds wow. singing Gene Hagen's that's song. That's awesome. Yeah. So, I mean, I I clocked that this time. I was like, that's actually, her voice is really deep when she's singing, just deeper than you yeah. would think from Debbie Reynolds's performing that, voice okay, but yeah that sucks for gene hagen to be playing a person with a crappy voice but she's dubbing the voice dubber yeah that oh man i feel really bad for gene hagen oh, now i feel like it would be hilarious like if you're still getting work and no one's like oh gene hagen what a screechy awful voice then yeah i would i would get a kick out of it in his arms would you So yeah, in general, like Gene Kelly is very entertaining to watch. Like, oh he's, yeah. Like, like you mentioned before, like the word athletic is like the best way to describe him. I mean, he makes he it it looks like you were watching uh, an athlete. It looks. I, I hate to draw this comparison because I feel like this is really selling it short, but it's almost like a Dancing with the Stars kind of a thing where, like, Gene Kelly is both a dancer and an athlete, mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> and he brings that athleticism to every aspect of his his physical performance. Throughout the entire movie, like, watching him move is definitely like watching an athletic performance more so than, like, a more traditional, like, dance performance. Right. I feel like the way dance is presented now, it's very, it's very polished, it's very purposeful, you know, it's, it's, whether it's quick paced or slow it there's there's just a certain polish to it and in this and i feel like kind of the trend of that moment was it's not always that in singing in the rain it's you know there's the kind of more comedic numbers that are just athletic and silly for the purpose of being athletic and silly and you know you have those like what i what kept bringing you back to action sequences you have these kind of set piece moments where they're interacting with the scenery or mm-hmm. there's some kind of move that's just you can tell the whole space has been organized around this yeah. dance and i i love that i love that the the movie the, the the dance kind of molds the movie and it's not necessarily presented in a way that has to be completely 
perfect and polished yeah. to make sense to the audience. It's just like, you're going to see a lot of dancing yeah. and it's going to be of different kind of tones and calibers mm-hmm. and it's why we're here. And it's funny because as you mentioned, like, it, it does kind of give a sense that there's not necessarily a lot of like polish everywhere, which is unexpected knowing what we know about Gene Kelly's work process. You know, mm-hmm. it's like, He's not afraid of rough edges, mm-hmm. it seems like. It, which is like, I'm getting much deeper into like the analysis of like dan- performance and dance than I ever thought I was going to. It's hard to ignore when you're watching a movie like this. Yeah. Like, these things just kind of jump out at you. But it's funny, I don't know how much you, like, in your research, because mm-hmm. um, I said I, I did a little bit of research on Gene Kelly to like learn a little bit more about him. I don't know how much you know about... He has some pretty strong feelings about dance and about specifically male dancers and dancing. As we mentioned, he himself is remarkably athletic. I'm reading directly from the Wikipedia page here. He says he railed against what he saw as the widespread effeminacy in male dancing, which Mm. in his opinion, quote, tragically stigmatized the genre, alienating boys from entering the field. Gene Kelly says, quote, dancing does attract effeminate young men. I don't object to that as long as they don't dance effeminately. I just say that if a man dances effeminately, he dances badly. He also says, unfortunately, people confuse gracefulness with softness, which I think that is a perfect summary of his approach to dance at all. Yeah. Uh, I I think you can't watch him without totally understanding that. mm -hmm. And I feel like he does come at the tail end of a tradition of, like, distinctly masculine dancers in movies Mm -hmm. in particular, but just in general. Like, I feel like the trend, what, and this is not, I mean, I don't know how he meant it, but honestly, like, I understand the idea that, like, dancing does not have to, there is such a thing as, like, bringing a masculinity to dance, Mm -hmm. you know, and that's something that I feel like you really don't see very much of, because people, like, of his generation were, like, James Cagney, who did Mm. a lot of dancing in his career, um... But it was ne- but it was very like distinctly masculine style of dancing. Yeah, and that's in musicals, especially like yes. in Broadway musicals. Yes. I feel like the the dances that are always the most entertaining to me are the male dances. Mm-hmm. Like when you think of West Side Story or the Newsies or any of those, where it's like yeah. it's a core of men or boys mm-hmm. in a dance number. Like those, the things you can do mm-hmm. with just that level of athleticism yes. is. It's just incredible to watch. It's amazing. Like, to have, yeah, the athleticism plus that that grace and elegance yes. that you get from mm-hmm. dance. And I, I thought about that a lot on this watch of the movie was just the masculinity in yes. dance. And that's really not on trend anymore. Like, that's not the way. I Male dance is much more about, I feel like you see it much more as, as partnering and kind of being the support role for mm-hmm. the centerpiece, which is the the female mm-hmm. soloist or the female partner and yeah this this so totally isn't that he is the dancing lead and debbie reynolds is following yeah and just to be clear when we talk about gene kelly being an athletic dancer that is not to say that female dancers are not athletic nothing could be farther from the truth no absolutely and I think that, like in particular like black swan really a great did a great job of like, really emphasizing that point that like Anybody who's performing at a high level in ballet or any other type of dance on a high level, you have to be an athlete of some type. Oh, yeah. What I am saying, though, is that the athleticism is very front and center yeah. in Gene Kelly's dance style, as opposed to in others where it's like it kind of gets absorbed into more uh, more of the nuance of the, of the performance. Mm-hmm. Anyway, I just want to make sure that we were clear on that. No, that's here. a good point. 
the song and dance numbers in this movie in particular, it's like they cover such a broad range and they, I, like I said, we can excise them from the story and the story wouldn't suffer, mm-hmm. but the film as a whole would be just, it would not be anywhere near as, as fondly remembered as it is today. Oh, for sure. So moving on down, you had as a very broad category, comedy. Oh, yeah. Run down here. And I was curious as to what you meant by that because there were definitely things I thought were hilarious in this movie. Oh, but. yeah. Just the way comedy works in this. I felt like it was really... It reminded me of other movies in this time. I mean, I don't know why. White Christmas just kept coming to me. But, like, there's not, the not kind of... Mention, they're very similar movies. They are. And the the Bing Crosby and, um, and Gene Kelly romantic lead. Yeah. And then the best friend. The comedy of just having that kind of goofy best friend who doesn't really have any romantic interest, just has... He's just the there. Yeah, this is like one of the very few instances from this period in Hollywood where you've got essentially a gay best friend. Okay. Uh, like, Maybe that's what it is. Okay, follow me here because mm-hmm. it's a trope in like more recent movies like from the 90s and 2000s, the gay best friend, but it's right. always for like a female character. Female lead, yeah. I feel like in this movie, and I'm not making a joke here, I sincerely think that this was like kind of coding that Cosmo was the gay best friend. Oh. But in this case, it's for a male friend and not a mm-hmm. female friend. And that was just something that was kind of like unspoken because, frankly, it doesn't make any difference. I'm okay. Not sure. mm-hmm. um, but that is honestly that I, I, halfway through the movie, I was like, okay, yeah, I see what's going on here. Oh, it. okay, all right. Because it's show business. Who cares? Yeah, I mean, so do you think there was interest in Don? Is that why he stuck no, around, no, no, or no, he no, just no. was? No, I mean, they were friends. You, wait, do you think that all gay men <laughs> have crushes on their male friends? I'm please? asking you. That yeah, I I could see that. I mean, that makes sense. I just I think the trope of having that like comedic best friend who just he's sure. just there to perform numbers like make him laugh like then, that is his point, and, and I'm not complaining. Yeah, but. again, that was something where it was like he was trying really hard to steal a show from Gene Kelly and it didn't really work. Mm-hmm. But it was still a great number, and that is one of I mean, Sing in the Rain title number definitely the most famous song and dance number. Mm-hmm. Probably Good Morning is the second most famous, and Make Them Laugh is probably... Actually, I think they're probably tied for second. Oh, you less. think so? I think so. In, in terms of, like, people's fun, like, people have seen the movie. Oh, okay. You know? Sure. I feel like it's probably the second most... Mem- they're tied for second most memorable. Okay, yeah. I would say Good Morning probably has more influence outside of yes, people who have seen the movie, that. but yes. yeah, I can see what you're saying, and that's probably true, because it's just... I'm. It's just pure comedy. It's yeah. hilarious and adorable. Which, by the way, I mentioned that I saw the live... My... my what ended up being my high school's drama department doing the uh, uh, live performance. The kid, I wish I could remember his name, but the kid who did that number killed it. He did, to, from my memory, uh-huh. I distinctly remember him doing every one of those stunts, including really? running up the wall. I was going to ask, like, row. how do you make that possible? Not only in a stage production, but in a high school stage yeah. production. He did the run up the wall twice in a row and then did the feet first jump through the paper. <laughs> He nailed it. Like, having never seen the movie, I didn't know anything about it. I thought, ooh, that's cool. But I feel like he, I, again, if my memory serves, because this is a while ago, I think he did a beat-for-beat beat recreation of the exact same choreography. Wow. Of all the athletic numbers, this may be... At, like, 16 or 17. Which I have a, a, a fact about. But apparently, um, yeah, Donald O'Connor, who played Cosmo, mm-hmm. he smoked about four packs a day at this Christ. point. Yeah, and... Did that? He had to go to the hospital after doing that number because it was so grueling. Like apparently the floors were concrete. There was, you know, he's jumping through walls. It was insane. Some hard landings. And not only that, so he comes back from the hospital, 
And because of a technical accident, they had to reshoot the whole thing. Oh, no. Like a day later. So he really sacrificed the body to get that number. And it's, I mean, it's gold. It's one of the best in the in the movie. Well, he won the Golden Globe, I thought, for, uh, oh, I'm going to double check this. I got the mm. internet. He won the Golden Globe for best actor. So he wasn't even best supporting actor. So, you know, it's small consolation probably for, like, permanent body damage. Yeah. I, I honestly couldn't tell you a single other movie that he's ever been in. But, yeah. But still, probably one of the best earned Golden Globes. I mean, give it to him. That was so great. I mean, his comic timing was phenomenal throughout. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I got a little sick of the constant, like, side quips. I mean, I felt like that was one of the things that kind of dates the style of this movie the most. Sure. like, some of the comedic stuff doesn't really land the way it probably did at the time. Like, there's, the, there's a scene where they show in... Uh, um, Don's background when he first meets Lena. Mm-hmm. And he does that whole thing of like, hey, what are you doing Saturday night? Well, I'm busy. Oh, I, I like, loved that. I was like, oh, burn. Shade like, King. But it just wasn't, it, 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 I could tell it was supposed to be like a laugh line and I just like, mm, yeah. oh, I all right. It. I mean, I get the burn, but whatever. Uh, that's Which, funny. I'm busy. <laughs> oh, that was classic. I mean, the execution was definitely great. Um, but let's, I actually kind of want to talk about Lena as a character. Yeah. Because I feel like that's... She is probably the least examined character in this movie. Mm-hmm. She has very little personality, but I do want to kind of, like, re-watching this now, knowing that we're going to discuss it, like, what was your, what were your, like, your impressions of Lena as a character? Um, all of the female characters, honestly, I was noticing more and more, like... There's some issues with the female characters in general, and we can get into... From a movie made in the 50s? Yeah. About Shocked. the 20s? Shocking. Amazing. I mean, I think her... The voice thing is so funny. It just... That's honestly... And with the comedy, I wanted to get your take, not knowing that you mm-hmm. had... You knew the plot, at least, but just how... That was probably just the how... plot twist when it comes... 10 minutes in. Yeah, minutes. like how that how that plays not knowing where it's going. Because right. re-watching it, I was like, oh, okay, I see, you know, you've at this point I've seen it so many times that it's just, it's not going to surprise me, obviously, but you can see them setting it up to yes. surprise you. And I, yes, definitely, because she doesn't talk for the first, like I said, the first 10 minutes. Like right. she's in the movie from basically, you know, shot by, mm-hmm. and she just doesn't talk. So and it becomes means, more and more conspicuous yes, as you go on. Yes. Yeah. I thought it would have been a lot funnier if, like, instead... Because I could not place what that accent was supposed to be. Yeah. But I thought it would have been a lot funnier if they gave her, like, a specific accent. Oh, yeah. And she just committed to that instead of just being shrill and, like, off. Mm-hmm. Like, if they gave her, like, a really dense, like, Jersey accent, <laughs> that would have been, I think, a lot more entertaining today. I think it would have held up better. Yeah, I think just her voice was supposed to be objectively horrible, and that's kind of hard to like. That's that's you do run the risk of give her a specific accent of like pissing off everybody <laughs> in Jersey and like be a boycott of New Jersey. Ooh, yeah, make it foreign. Um, <laughs> but Argo, yeah, 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 I think. That's a little hard to pull off now that just like, oh, her voice is just awful. Your like, voice sucks. Your voice sucks. Her character, the motivations were a little confusing, I guess. So she meets Don Lockwood originally as a stuntman on a picture she's on. And she totally brushes him off until mm-hmm. one of the executives is like, oh, we love you. You're going to be a big star. You're going to yeah. be starring in our next picture with Lena. And then she's like, ooh, okay. And he's like, no, thanks. So she doesn't seem to really want to be with Don, but she just wants to sabotage things? I disagree. I think she, like, 
And, and this is part of what I think is a misstep on the movie's part, because mm-hmm. in the movie, I definitely feel like she very much wants to be with Dawn for reasons that don't really make sense to me. And that's just, like, poor characterization. Like, yeah. I, this movie is not 100% for me in terms of, like, they, there are missteps, and that's one of the biggest ones. Like, as they give her a strange kind of character development mm-hmm. in that they flesh her out in odd ways. Yeah. She's not dumb enough to be the type of character they're trying to set her up to be, and she's yeah. not, like, vain enough to be the type of character. It's like... Weirdly, she's got a very strange combination of vain and dumb. Yeah, and honestly, I think that's what feels the most off to me, is they, like, kind of set her up at the beginning to be dumb enough to believe the tabloids that say she's dating or she's engaged or whatever, that she's paired with this man that she is not paired with. Right. And that seems to be kind of a studio play. They're they're acting it out to increase interest in their movies and Mm -hmm. them as a on-screen couple. But so she's supposed to be dumb enough to believe the tabloids, but at the same time smart enough to pull some of the moves that she pulls on later on in the movie to kind of set up herself for her own success, which I guess is not long lived. It's not a great plan. It falls apart pretty quickly. So maybe she just is that dumb. I but... feel like she would be more effective if they made her more of like a Cersei Lannister character. Yeah. Where she's sort of smart, but not as smart as she thinks she is. Right. Where she's vain enough to think that she's smarter than she actually is, but she's not actually like an idiot. Yeah. You know I mean? Yeah. Because it's not believable that she's as dumb as they kind of set her up to be. Like she makes too many strategic moves to really just be a total yeah. dummy. But Although, that's a good point. She didn't list the help of her friend Zelda, who appeared in exactly two scenes, I think. <laughs> and I wanted more of that character because I thought that could have been really funny. Frankly. Well, that's another... I didn't realize, in reading about this, I didn't realize, you know, on any of my watchings that this was supposed to be kind of a, a spoof, necessarily. That's just never like how I read it. It's satire. I mean, it, it really it, is. That's something else that I, I kind of wanted to bring up, is that it's like, it's nostalgic, but also satirical about a very specific time period in Hollywood history. Yeah. Um, and I appreciated that on face value. Mm-hmm. I didn't think they got deep enough into the satire element. Right. And that's, uh, just to say, Zelda apparently was supposed to be correlated to some specific starlet, but... Oh, interesting. Yeah. Like, I don't know a single thing about Zelda's personality. Lena's like, my friend Zelda here told me what's going on, and Zelda's like, yep, see ya. Yeah. Sure did. Bye. Anytime, Lena. Yeah, most of the characters are based on actual people, according to IMDb. Mm. R.F. Simpson, the studio head, is obviously a parody on Louis B. Mayer. Uh, with touches of Arthur Freed, Dora Bailey is an obvious caricature of Luella Parsons. Zella Zanders, the zip girl, is based on Clara Bow, the it girl. Oh, so, gotcha. I didn't and there's know Clara Bow was such a bitch. Yeah, apparently so. She's ruining uh, uh, Don Lockwood's relationship. Oh yeah, Olga the Vamp at the premiere is based on Pola Negri and Gloria Swanson, both of whom landed royalty as husbands. Interesting. Oh, also the director is based on eccentric Eric von Stronheim. That's very interesting. I thought the director was so funny. He was great and definitely like the perfect performance for like what he was actually going through. Like I've very rarely seen somebody pull off the frustrated performance quite like him so yeah, yeah. That was like the uh, oh boy i think i was i don't remember if lb mayor was still alive at the time this movie came out mm. but they really treated him the kid gloves if that's how they portrayed him I, right everything that i've ever heard about lb mayor is that he was a real piece of shit yeah they were they had a bigger fish to fry in this movie yeah they really but... had a roast pole and negri with that weird dance right <laughs> stick it to her finally <laughs> 
30 years. Yep. Anyhow, I don't know. Some of the characterizations, I, I, I see that. I, I kind of was thrown. I wasn't quite sure. It, does it say if Don Lockwood was specifically based on anybody, or was that just a complete fabrication? It's like. I didn't see anything that he was okay. based on anyone. Because I definitely, like, they set be? him up as, like, very, like, this, like I said, the stunt montage really stuck out to me. So they almost set him up as, like, this Buster Keaton type of guy. And right. then, like, the uh, um, uh, Hollywood Melody at the end with, with the glasses I thought was, like, a Harold Lloyd kind of a thing. But, so it's, like, a, a weird mishmash of different, like, but his persona was more, like, Rudolph Valentino. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It was, like, a very weird... Don't get me wrong. I would have loved, like, on paper, the idea of, like, a combination of Rudolph Valentino, Buster Keaton character sounds Ooh. great. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, I mean, I, I feel like that kind of character would slay today. Like, if basically, if, uh, oh man, who's, there's not a real Valentino these days, but I was just trying to think of, like, a real, like, heartthrob leading man did his own stunts. And oh, did, yeah. like, death-defying stunts. Actually, this stunt, this stunt montage, it reminded me of equal parts The Fall and Looney Tunes. Yeah. Literally walking into a shit that says explosives and blowing up. Like, <laughs> yeah, that was crazy. So getting back to the fall and the stuntman, yes, sort of, yes, yes. what did you think of that? I instantly thought of the fall by mm-hmm. like stunt two. I was like, oh man, this is like, it almost felt like this would be like Roy's fever dream yeah. from the fall, where it's like, when he thinks he's ODing on morphine, this is like, this This movie is how he envisions his Ooh, future. It's a Jacob's uh, Ladder scenario. It's a real Jacob's Ladder scenario. Oh, yeah. Um, but no, I, I, I thought that that sequence was really great. I thought it was, again, in much the same way as many of these song and dance numbers, didn't really have a whole lot to do with the plot. It advanced the story, but like seeing so many stunts back to back was 100% pure entertainment. Yeah. And it was very entertaining. Like that montage, I thought was like, like I said earlier, one of the funniest parts of this movie. That I kind of forgot about the sequence of stunts towards the beginning and... Yeah, I kept thinking like, oh, well, what we put into action sequences now, yeah. we put into these dance sequences. We had both in this movie. Yeah. We had both. Exactly. And it, like the stunts were more front-loaded, but mm-hmm. like the whole idea of, again, we keep circling back to this, but Gene Kelly being like such an athletic presence, I was not prepared to see him get punched over the bar <laughs> and hit the shelves and everything. That, like... Kind of, that and break level, all the bottles. Yeah, that level of just like ragdoll physicality is extremely difficult to pull off. Yeah. And when it happened, it happened so fast. I was just like, oh my God. And because <laughs> there's no cuts, it's obviously Gene Kelly. It's mm-hmm. not like a stunt guy getting cut in or anything like that. It's definitely him. And so, like, all these other stunts, I mean, there's a few that do like the motorcycle jump. Obviously, that wasn't him. Right. But at the same time, that was somebody. Yeah. You know? So yeah. Oh my God. I forgot about that one. These, yeah. like death defying stunts and things. So, definitely, the last like montage of the fall was something that came immediately to mind. Mm-hmm. Uh, episode two, if anyone's keeping track. Yeah. Um, but anyway, it's, uh, yeah, I, I thought that was great. I thought that was extremely entertaining. My thought was, stuntman never get the girl. She wasn't interested in him until he no. was a leading man. It's no. not a good way to get your girlfriend back or get your girlfriend for so the first time. We are two for two in movies with stuntmen not getting the attention. That they Don't want. do it. Yeah. It's not successful. Uh, but then also, actually, one of the other really cool stunts is something you mentioned earlier. was like the part where he's trying to escape his Beatlemania mob yeah. that outside the theater, which is that I literally wrote Beatlemania <laughs> on my notes. Because They're I, ripping clothing. They're ripping clothing off of, I want a souvenir, I want a souvenir. They're ripping <laughs> clothing off of his body. Um, but his escape route to climb over the streetcar and jump into like the, the, uh, the convertible, I was like, that's a really cool stunt sequence on its yeah. own. Yeah. Like, 
that's really again showing off his uh, his his physical abilities. It's yeah. crazy stuff. Speaking of the fandom part of this, mm-hmm. though, that's one thing that I thought was really interesting. Is I feel like the way we talk about it now is just like. Uh, the Kardashians and like the TMZs and just like as if fandom was just invented and right. it's like you know what no there Fan were people magazines. yeah they are as old as time <laughs> Tiger Beat has been around since the twenties apparently but <laughs> it's the whole opening sequence they keep cutting to the crowd who are just like yeah. wildly applauding insane it's crazy and I just that was like you know what the Kardashians did not invent. No. Fandom. This has been around since the movies, apparently. Which actually brings me to what I think it was the part of the movie that really did make me laugh to the point where like I had to pause the movie and like wait to proceed. Okay. What which I was not expecting because this joke just came out of absolutely nowhere is when they introduced when the uh, um, when uh, the radio announcer or whatever introduces Lena Lamont and that one woman in the crowd says she's so refined. I think I'll kill myself. I was like, <laughs> that is, I, I was not prepared for it. It yep. was so funny. It was just like, though her delivery was flawless and so deadpan, <laughs> it was great. Like that, and I was like, my God, they're like, they're, which in retrospect, I'm thinking like, okay, they were building up to some really great like song and dance numbers, but they blew what I think were the best stunts and the funniest parts of the movie in the mm, first five minutes. That's true. I mean, like you said, it starts really, really strong, but yeah, there's not... There's not a lot of that later in the movie. They do they do some interesting audience cutaway type stuff when they're yes. actually watching the movie right. when people start heckling. That was kind of funny. I just loved the um, when Cosmo rolls up and everyone's like, <gasps> and then it shows like, and then Don Lockwood's not with him, which everyone clearly expected he would be, yes. and so they kind of just like all yeah. sit down and yeah. he's like, Next. Yeah. hey, <laughs> oh, he was great. Yeah. Um... But yeah, the idea of like fandom and fame in general mm-hmm. was really a, a key part of like the satire that they were going with here. Right. Um, because it's not a real serious examination of. I mean, there's been hundreds of movies made about fame and fan, like fame more specifically, but fandom also um, that really dig deep into that. This one really didn't, but it was definitely a pervasive theme yeah. because you've got, you know, very much the, the idea of like the famous successful person meets the up and comer mm-hmm. who like that, which by the way, something I didn't mention earlier, but it really struck me as kind of like a subtle, uh, touch that really worked really well was Kathy's car. It's not real obvious, but like the paint's peeling off of the uh, um, of the steering wheel mm-hmm. and things like that. So the mm-hmm. car is like not a piece of garbage. It's not like it's just jalopy that's not moving. But there's like these touches to show like she's obviously not made of money. Like, right. She's n- n- trying to make ends meet here. I totally didn't notice that, but yeah, that's yeah. I mean, it's like, it was a little thing, but it was <laughs> just like it, that was definitely something I was like, okay, okay, that's a good. That's a great way, instead of having, like, a few lines of dialogue, it's like, I'm poor. <laughs> yeah. But, um, but, yeah, I mean, I thought, I thought that was cool, the way they presented, like, you know, her being just, like, this person who is not starstruck, mm-hmm. even though she is a fan, yeah. as we learn later on, was it was an interesting way, one of the more interesting characterizations of the movie, I thought. Yeah. And I do think it's interesting that timing i want to get to don and kathy's relationship because mm, yes, i have please. thoughts on that but um the it positioned the movie positioned itself in an interesting time where it was like the late 20s mm-hmm. where film actors were really like the way she treats him as a film actor mm-hmm. 
totally would not translate to today because film actors are kind of the pinnacle of, of stardom, I feel like, for us. But for her, she her point is like, well, I mean, all you do is like just pantomime because it's a silent movie. So like mm, a theater actor really does much more. And you think about it, like probably just as many people were seeing live shows for entertainment as they were watching silent films. So I am going to disagree with you there Mm -hmm. because I definitely think that like one of the reasons why this particular time in cinema history in particular is so, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Interesting maybe to like somebody like myself personally, I can't really speak for anybody else, but like one of the reasons why it kind of gets like the late twenties in a lot of ways was the first real like peak of Hollywood's celebrity culture Mm -hmm. in the way that like you had people like Valentino, people like Douglas Fairbanks, people like Mary Pickford or whoever, uh, Gloria Swanson. Anyway, people like that who were um, famous in a way that it's hard to understand without comparing them to the celebrities of our day. Mm -hmm. But as far as movie stars are concerned, I think that that was the first time in cinema history that movie stars were as famous as they are today. It had reached its it had reached a peak that it has not exceeded in the last 95 years. Mm-hmm. I would say that's probably the best way to put it. Like Charlie Chaplin was the most famous person on planet Earth for like 30 years. Right. And and, and that's just the way it went for like he was the biggest movie star probably but like there were dozens of movie stars that were at least as famous as Brad Pitt is today or as um I'm trying to think of like who's like huge right. today. But not necessarily, yeah, not necessarily speaking about fame, more of like how we view them as artists. Okay. Is that like, okay. I feel like what was coming across was they were not necessarily understood as the serious artists that maybe theater actors still were. And I, I mean, there's probably debate about it still today, but mm-hmm. the way we view celebrities, specifically actors, as artists Mm -hmm. i feel like there's no question to the credibility of that okay i was getting more that this is like a theater actor is a credible artist and a movie star is just a movie star yeah i mean that's that is there's something there too although i mean for every daniel day lewis you've got a hundred ryan goslings oh for sure so uh, i don't know what you're saying by that comparison (laughs) actually uh, both artists yes yes artists but it might okay that was probably a bad example, but, like, maybe there's a hundred Ansel Elgorts or something like that. Uh, Wait, Baby Driver? You're going to diss Baby Driver like that? Absolutely not. No, he's great. I, I just... Anyway, what, 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 we can talk about Baby Driver literally any time. <laughs> not on this podcast, though, because we've both podcast. seen it. We've both seen it. We both love it. It's not, nothing to debate. Um, anyway, um, no, I guess, like, what I was saying was I do think that Don Lockwood's, like, rebuttal to Kathy in the car when she's like, ah, movie stars, what do you do? Blah, blah, mm-hmm. blah, faces. His rebuttal was... So, like, it would not change a beat from then to now in terms of, like, oh, you're going to be a big theater actor? Yeah. Super famous. <laughs> um, well, his was more like, oh, where can I see you acting? Yes, exactly, and she was yeah. like, uh, yeah, exactly. working on it. And he's like, oh, really? Shakespeare, I'm sure. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So King they, Lear, you'll have to grow a beard yeah. for that one. Boom, <laughs> roasted. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, he was the shade king in this, and it was so great. It was great. I got I swear, it's like every great line that he had was overshadowed by like how hammy he was. 
Like Oh, I it better, didn't bother me. I would say this. Good actor, much better dancer than actor. Yeah, that's fair. Um which in I turn, had no qualms. <laughs> Hey, we own, I suppose. No, I, I, his performance was definitely over the top. I mean, let's let's, yeah. let's let's be honest with that one, right? I mean, yes, but it, in a way that I felt felt genuine to his character. He was this yes, big time actor. Definitely true, definitely true. He is used to everyone being in love with him. No, that's true. Um, but uh, anyhow, um, so Don and yes. Kathy's relationship. Go going on. to that. I, I like their rapport throughout the movie. Mm-hmm. I'll say I think they they, they, they really do. And starting it out with that kind of antagonistic, her saying like, "Well, movie actors aren't anything," and he's like, "Oh, really? I'm gonna see you in a big play sometime soon." Yeah. Only to find out that she is like the uh, the hired dancer. Yeah. she's the lead of she's the core dancers. She's so the one the cake, yeah. yeah, but she comes out of a cake at a premiere party and kind of embarrasses herself as. As not being quite the serious actor that she made herself out to be. Hey, we all gotta make ends meet. Let's be real here. So that, I I like that a lot. Their rapport and the way that they interact is really sweet. And there are some really romantic moments. But there's also some moments that are like... So she kind of poo-poo's him being an actor and says she hasn't seen many of his movies. And if you've seen one movie, you've seen them all. Mm -hmm. And then later kind of... It, you know, reveals that she's actually read quite a few fan magazines and is is maybe a little more familiar than with his work than uh, she said. But he like legit is a jerk to her, and she kind of apologizes to him mm-hmm. for like she's like, well, I might have read a couple magazines, but like he still was being an asshole. By I would have definitely, his. I would have in. I would have appreciated a scene in which Don confronts the idea that he became belligerent because his ego was bruised Mm. and maybe possibly seeing how he has become more like Lena than he would like to believe in that way. Cosmo is a good straight man and kind of makes Don reckon with Mm -hmm. who he is. So yeah, I agree. We totally could have delved into that more. There's just a lot of moments where Kathy is kind of like, Honestly, she's straight up humiliated in a couple of these yeah. scenes, and there's never, there's not really a balance to that. Like, Don never really reckons with the fact that, like, he's a legit jerk sometimes. Yes. Especially the very end, Lena kind of backs Kathy into a corner of mm-hmm. being her uh, dubbed voice yes. for yes. the rest of her career or whatever, when they had much bigger plans for Kathy to be in her own movies and have mm-hmm. her own career. Right. But they reveal that Kathy is the one dubbing Lena's voice when right. Lena, like, goes out and insists that she, like, makes a speech or sings a song or whatever. And it's, like, legit humiliating to Kathy. It's embarrassing. And she runs away. And then Don's like, oh, like, it's fine. Like, now you're going to be a star. Yeah, he doesn't ever reckon with that. It didn't really... I still would have been mad, is it what I'm trying to it, say. It did not add up. <laughs> Nothing about that actually added up. I thought it was, like, a very weird choice. Yeah. Like it almost, uh, I don't know. I felt, I don't know how they could have done it that would have made more sense, considering where the story ended up, but... If she had been in on it in any way, yeah. I feel like I would have felt better about it, but it was just like... He he acts like a jerk to her, which he knows he's he knows the plan. He knows that he's gonna like make it all right. But really... so, all right, I don't want to say too much about this because I know like you and many other people have not seen the Netflix series Glow. Mm. But now that you mention it, it seems like the ending of this movie in like that scene in particular echoes the last sequence in this 
show about women's wrestling in the 1980s. Oh, uh, interesting. Yeah. In a weird way, which uh, if you happen to remember that I said that by the time you actually watch the show Glow, that goes for everyone listening, think of, you know, think about it. It kind of True, it's, not it's, true. It's, it, it may have been accidental, may have been on purpose. I don't know. Frankly, it doesn't really make that big of a difference to me, but it was, uh, now that you said it, it does kind of remind me of that. Huh. Anyway, but that's neither here nor there. Um... But, yeah, I agree. Uh, their relationship, not ideal by any real standard, um, yeah. modern or otherwise. <laughs> but I, I did think that it was interesting. Going back to, like, Cosmo and also the idea of, like, fame and celebrity culture. Mm-hmm. I feel like Cosmo was probably the most critical audience access point because he is not famous, but he has been around this industry for as long as Don has. Right. So he has maintained... He has had the luxury of maintaining his own personality, the same kind of, like, perspective, while also understanding how the machine works. Right. Does that make sense? Yeah. Because show business is just kind of his job. Yeah, you know, it's like he's, he's like a nine-to-five guy. Right, like, he's making his money, but he's never, this hasn't changed his lifestyle significantly in the way right. that it changed Don. So that's he's a good probably, point. He's probably comfortable. I mean, he's not pulling down the big bucks, but I'm sure he's, right. like, he's doing okay. Right, but this isn't there. There aren't people chasing him in the street in the way that they would be for Don. Right, we're getting fairly close to the end here. So mm-hmm. you know, you you brought up uh, something that you you wanted to talk about with the um, if this movie was going to be remade today. Yes, you seem very excited to discuss. Oh this. yeah. So I mean, the age old question: Who would you cast? Yes. So the four leads: We've got Don, Cosmo, uh, Debbie Reynolds. Kathy, Kathy and, Lena. and Lena. Who would you cast today? So you seem very excited about this. I, I, I'll, I'll let you be our, our wrap-up here. Mm. Um, so I'm not... I, I didn't think too far outside the box. It is tricky because I don't know that many actors that we have around today who are adept at singing and dancing. Mm-hmm. So Don, I kind of went easy, and I was thinking about somebody like Ryan Gosling. Oh, okay. And maybe... Just as a, a little aside gag, like if we had the flashbacks, having maybe Ansel Elgort play the young Don. Oh, um, cute. I know he's a great dancer. Um, and then for Kathy, I was like, well, shit, I can't think of anybody except Emma Stone because in this imaginary oh. universe, La La Land does not exist. Mm-hmm. Lena, I went with Scarlett Johansson. Oh, interesting. For one thing, mm-hmm. actually, you know what? No. Sorry, Emma Stone. I'm putting Anna Kendrick in for Oh, okay. Yeah, I see it. I see it. Um, But yeah, for Lena, I thought Scarlett Johansson because partly because of her role in Hail Caesar, Mm -hmm. if you remember, like she kind of had that same persona where she was like, ah, Christ, give me a cigarette. (laughs) Um, And I'm sure now that you say that, I'm sure that was influenced by this because she did have that like that very kind of like Jersey Jersey thing going on. Punched over in a chair, smoking. <laughs> uh, it was great. It was, I, I would for sure, th- I, I would definitely trust her with that type mm-hmm. of performance because she's one of those actresses where it's like she always gets, I mean, she gets typecast. True. And I feel like she probably has comedic chops that she does not get an opportunity to exercise. Right, that's yeah. The kind of, that's the kind of thing I want to see. I want to see people who don't get a chance to be funny be funny that's funny because the the one the one person that i really was sure about in the casting that's almost exactly why i cast them but um if first if you had someone for cosmo yes actually i wanted to put josh gad as cosmo <gasps> oh i love it i more josh gad always more josh he's gad. great yeah i know he does musicals he actually was one of the original leads in the book of mormon which right I, which yeah I like dvd of and it's really funny 
Um, but he's so good, and I feel like he could pull off that character flawlessly. Uh-huh. I, this is not a dig at Josh Gad, but I don't know if he can match the physicality. Right. But at the same time, I think as the, just the performance in general, I think he could nail it. I mean, yeah. let's be honest here. I mean, as much as I would love to see people recreate um, the, uh, like choreography from like Make Him Laugh, I don't think that's necessary. Like, if you're really doing a remake, I feel like bringing something new to the role, and I feel like Josh Gad would be the guy to bring a different type of comedy to that role. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, absolutely. And so, like I said, love him. Would so, love yeah. to see more of him. Yeah. Um, go on. I, so, I'm very anxious to hear. I love your casting. I totally subscribe. The one person that I was like, I would love to see them in this movie was, I would love to see Channing Tatum as the Don Lockwood character. Ooh, okay. He's got the dancing chops. That's, that's where true. he came from. But he really doesn't get the chance to different be like... Different kind of dancing is where he came from. Different kind of dancing. Just but you know he could pull it off. And like... He doesn't get the chance to be a true, genuine romantic lead. I think there's always this like touch of irony, which is hilarious, and he totally pulls off, and it's really successful. But he has a very natural like meathead kind of a look. Absolutely, I I I feel bad in that sense because you're right. Uh, I think he could surpass it. I think think this could be the role where we see him be truly like. Because we've seen him, I guess, be a little bit more dramatic, and we've seen him, obviously, a lot of what he does has this, like, element of irony and comedy. Which he could, he could do yeah. all of that, because he has he has been in comedies, mm-hmm. he's been in a handful of dramas and, like, popcorn action movies where he does stunts and stuff like that. Because he's been in a couple of, like, Nicholas Sparks-style romance yeah, movies. Yeah, the, like, Dear John, and yeah. Um, but this would be a chance for him to do the comedy, the legitimate romance, and the physicality that he brings to his performances all at the same time. You're right. You're absolutely yeah. right. That's, I would love to see him in the remake of this. My other question was, so this is kind of a, a movie about a content revolution. What do you think would be the moment, if even if it wasn't set today, right. if it was set in another time? That is a really tough question. It's tough because there has not really been any other art form like movies mm-hmm. that has been so immensely popular and undergone a massive technological change that fundamentally altered the experience of both the creators and the consumers. Mm-hmm. It's such a specific moment in like cultural history. I don't know what would even come close to it. Yeah. Um, which is part of the reason why I think this particular movie is so... I would honestly say vital because it is such a it's such a loving examination of a very very specific point in not just film history but cultural history. Yeah, you know, it was like this new art form that had existed for like I don't know thirty five years at the point that this movie takes place or so, and it underwent a seismic shift that is something that like I don't think like I said I don't think any other mass consumed art form has ever gone through that affected everyone involved with it, whether it was the people that were behind the camera, in front of the camera, or in the theater. Right. I honestly don't know. Like, the closest thing, I, I literally wrote my notes, VHS in the 80s, question mark? Oh. I don't know. But that's part of the reason why I love movies in particular, is because like, I, I do love history, and I feel like the history of the 20th century is so closely tied to, like, Hollywood and Hollywood representations and things like that and how that has influenced like just people mm-hmm. it's such a like I don't know it's such a singular thing I don't know I don't have an answer for that did you? Ooh. not a I mean I think you're right it's it's hard to find something that was that 
seismic. There's just like completely changed everything. I mean, I think there could be a story with like CGI and kind of the digital involvement with movies. Even I mean, maybe film to digital if you could find if you could find something to latch onto plot wise. But um, yeah, I don't know. That is. It's tricky, open-ended. And, and I think that it is part of the thing that like makes this movie like stand the test of time, because it's not something that's like it is almost like it's not even a document because it's not a movie that happened at the time that this change is happening. It's like a nostalgic look back at something that I feel like even at the time was recognized as just being like a colossal change in the way that humans viewed mass culture right you know it's weird and not to get too like sociological about it but i feel like it's such like such a unique vision it's such a, it's like it it's and and the fact that like um what was his name freed arthur freed i think was the the songwriter uh-huh. who like all these songs were by him from previous movies and it almost felt like it was his like fond remembrance of like a particular moment in time no, I don't think he actually wrote the movie. I think he was just like, these are just his songs. Right. Um, they wrote the movie around the songs, right, basically. Right, exactly. Which, they didn't do a very good job if that's what they did, because <laughs> frankly, these songs have, they, they feel shoehorned in, but that's, that's neither here nor there. So yeah, definitely, like, this is one of those movies that I feel like, to borrow a phrase from the Cracked Movie Club podcast, this is like one of the movies that should definitely go on, like, the gold record that's shot in a space for aliens. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it would be. I mean, it makes every list of, like, the world's best movies or whatever, best of all time American films, stuff like that. So Yeah, suck it, Citizen Kane. Yeah. No songs. Don't care. <laughs> so, unless you have anything else to add. I think this is about it. I mean, I feel like we covered everything. I highly enjoy this movie. I 100% recommend it to anybody who is remotely interested in films at all. Yeah. Nothing... I, I take it back. I was going to say there are no explosions, but there's at least one explosion. Yeah, there's a couple. There's a whole sequence of action that that's your thing. Um, but it, yeah. it's it's really good. Uh, I seem to remember, actually, this is, okay, I just remembered this, but um, when I was in college, Bill Nye, the science guy, did a speaking Bill? engagement. Bill? 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 Yeah. <laughs> science rules. Uh, he did a speaking engagement at UF while I was there, and somebody from the audience did a Q&A. It was a pretty long Q&A. Some people are asking science questions. This one kid gets up and he asks him, what's his favorite movie? And people kind of groan. And without missing a beat, he's like, oh, Singing in the Rain, without a doubt. Oh, it's so good. That warms my heart. Yeah, so apparently this is Bill Nye's favorite movie. And he didn't <laughs> even have to think about it. Easy, easy answer. Oh, that's amazing. That's so cool. Um, but yeah, a little nugget there from Kyle's life. Um, <laughs> yeah, I definitely I'd recommend it. I think it's great. I think that like you know this is for one thing a movie that you can definitely like watch with your parents if you're home at Christmas or something like that. It's true. It's all milk and sandwiches. It's There's milk nothing. And cheese sandwiches. Like it's the most wholesome movie ever it's with surreal. a smattering like a, a the, the the barest suggestion of sex. In there the you go. Movie. Um, I'm so glad that you finally gave me a reason, uh, an urgency to watch this yep. movie. I'm absolutely on board with this. I'm an advocate, for sure. Sweet. Huge success. Yeah, I would, as as long as musicals don't weird you out, I would recommend it to anybody. It's it's classic, and it's just, it's just joyful. I would go as far as to say that even if musicals do weird you out, just play the movie, and then, like fiddle with your phone or go get a drink or something when the musical numbers are on if you're not locked in you know because these musical numbers will lock you in yeah i mean i think as as good as the rapport between all the characters is and the movie as a whole the musical numbers make it the dance sequences like you just 
Mm-hmm. It's the point. But with that being said, what's on for next week? Well, Kari, how do you feel about sports stories? Ooh. Like the classic uh, David and Goliath, you know, Rocky Four. We're not watching Rocky Four, but like the classic, <laughs> like, uh, Rocky versus Ivan Drago, like, the, the, the champion versus the contender kind of thing. Mm. Like, how, how do you feel about movies like that? Uh, it's... Uh... Not my genre, but okay. I do end up watching them and really liking it. I liked Rocky. The I think I've seen maybe the first three. And Creed, which Creed? was amazing. All right, that's a great one if you have I, it, but They yes. surprised me with how much I like them, but there's a certain inertia to watching them of in the course. first place. Now, second follow-up question. How do you feel about nerds? Love them. Yeah? They're my people. All right. Like real, like, serious video game nerds. Okay, I you know I support them. All right, <laughs> not your favorite, but you're. No, I support them. Yeah. All right. So this is a story of a champ, like a world champ, and he's a real dickhead. Mm-hmm. And it's also the story about a, just a regular Joe who has got a dream, mm. and the they come from different worlds and they clash. Oof. Okay. The world in which they clash is the world of competitive arcade video gaming. Ooh, I didn't know that was a thing. Yes. And the cast of characters is one of the most interesting that I have ever seen. It's also a documentary. Ooh. So these characters are very real flesh and blood people. And the movie is The King of Kong, Ooh. A Fistful of Quarters. And it is about two men's rivalry to take the top spot in the world record for Donkey Kong. It is fascinating, engrossing, hilarious, and just one of the more entertaining documentaries that I have ever seen. And I believe, don't hold me to this because you know how the internet is, I believe it is available for free on YouTube. I'm pretty sure. So, The King Kong, A Fistful of Quarters, strongly recommend. That is my pick for next week, and that just about does it for us for this week, I think, so... So, we'll see you next week. I'm Kari. And I'm Kyle. Bye. Make them laugh, make them laugh. Don't you know everyone wants to laugh? <laughs> my dad said be an actor, my son. But be a comical one, they'll be sad.